Saints fans, Pelicans fans, let's go. This is the Black and Blue Report. Black. Bree is going to go deep. He's got Graham. Touchdown. Blue. Down the lane. Shoots. No. Tip follow in for Davis with three tenths of a second left. Welcome into the podcast for the fans, straight from the teams they love. It's good to see you guys, and uh, I didn't know we had Studio B here in our facility. Good setup. Now that I know where your guys' little office is, I can pop in here whenever I want. Well, we're playing through AD, and so everybody's going to have to adjust to that. Coaches, players, analysts, celebrities, and more. That guy's Anthony Mackie. I've gotten in many of our arguments about the Pelicans and the Saints uh, over the years. Harry Connick Jr. joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Undoubtedly, to me, the Saints are the singular reason that New Orleans is back on the map. Hoda Kotb from the Today Show on NBC, our guest. You know, New Orleans gets in your blood. The Saints never leave it once they get in there. This is the Black and Blue Report, straight from the source. No appointment radio. Wherever, whenever. Now, from Studio B, or from wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? Welcome into the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Greetings from Houston, Texas this morning. Sean Kelly with you as the Pelicans prepare for a big game against the Houston Rockets tonight. Hi again, everyone. Happy holidays to you and yours. I hope it's all going well, and I hope that you're getting yourself ready for a big weekend. Boy, oh boy, we're going to really dial it in today as we have our visit with the voices here on this Thursday. The voice of the Saints, Jim Henderson, will join us, and the voice of the Falcons, Wes Durham. Both guys will probably give us the our best preview of the week for the game that kicks off at noon on Sunday. So I've been looking forward to uh, this show all week long uh, because uh, we get the visits with them, but because of who it is. Uh, Henderson, one of our favorite guests, of course, and Wes Durham, even though he's a Falcon, uh, we do really enjoy his insight. And so he makes his second appearance with us on the Black and Blue Report for the season here this morning. We're also going to talk Pelicans and Rockets tonight. Joel Blank of the Houston Rockets Radio Network will uh, help us uh, preview tonight's ball game at the Toyota Center here in Houston. I'm sure Joel and uh, the others in the Rockets camp are a little bleary-eyed after uh, their overtime win at Denver last night that concluded very late. I would imagine they did not arrive here in Houston until about 4 a.m. this morning, and now they get to turn around and play tonight. It's, it's really strange sometimes when you look at how the NBA uh, schedules these teams, and um, certainly there's probably a bit of a disadvantage for the Rockets in having to have played on national television in Denver last night, go to overtime, and then travel, lose an hour in the time change, and play here on this Thursday night against the Pelicans. You won't find much sympathy. I'm just, I'm just noting something. And, of course, the Rockets are off to a great start, and uh, they get to the free-throw line, and they're scoring the ball, and we'll have to wait and see if Dwight Howard can go tonight in a back-to-back as he's just coming back from a knee injury. So we'll talk with Joel Blank about that. It was a crazy night in the NBA altogether. Um, probably the most intriguing matter was the triple overtime thriller between the Spurs and the Memphis Grizzlies last night, and Memphis prevails in that game and are right there again at the top of the West with the Golden State Warriors. Really, I'm trying to remember, and I'm I'm speaking specifically about the Western Conference, I'm trying to remember a start to the season that has had more sizzle perhaps than this one has going for it right now. It's it's really remarkable at how well the West has come out of the gate and how well we've seen uh, spectacular performances impact their teams right out of the uh, out of the start here and I wouldn't say it has a playoff run feel to it but certainly it's been exciting here at a time in the NBA where we're all kind of waiting for Christmas Day to kind of become the unofficial start to the season so uh, well done NBA and uh, hopefully the Pelicans who are 12 and 12 can keep that up tonight hey by the way how about Jay Cutler getting uh, benched now for the Chicago Bears I don't think anyone should be surprised by it but the shock value of course is in what uh, he is making. He is the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL this season, and uh, I think that the New Orleans Saints had a large hand in what has become of Jay Cutler's season here at the end uh, with his benching news yesterday. Really, really weird and crazy stuff now coming out of Chicago. But that's in the rearview mirror, and we'll talk Saints and Falcons here this morning, get you ready for a playoff-type game this weekend 
at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. So Jim Henderson, Wes Durham, and Joel Blank with us. Stay with us. We'll get into our Saints and Falcons preview in just a moment. I'm Tom Richards. I'm 35 years old, vice president of sales at a regional paper company. Six months ago, we decided to transition to one of those cool collaborative open space offices. So now I sit in the open next to three other sales managers, which means there's nothing separating me from... (coughs) Not getting Carl's nasty cold and missing a sales opportunity this winter? That is my purpose. Blend it now. Try the new Immune Builder Smoothie at Smoothie King. It's the tastiest way to stay healthy this winter. Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Pelicans fans, be sure to download the team's official app so you can play our new game, Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Help Pierre the Pelicans save the coast in this infinite flying adventure. Save as many miles of the coast as you can before the water rises. This fun, interactive game includes a basketball bonus round and educational facts about the environment provided by the Audubon Nature Institute. Quest for the Coast, presented by Chevron. Available only on the Pelicans app. Download it today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report. All right, time to dig in now here on our Thursday visit with the voices. Of course, Wes Durham, the voice of the Falcons, still to come. We'll talk Pelicans-Rockets here from Houston a bit later, but we want to kick off our uh, our guest today with, of course, the voice of the Saints, Jim Henderson, who joins us here for the final time in the regular season. And while he is uh, preparing for the uh, Saints and the Falcons on a short week, he, like Clark Griswold, is probably also preparing for a good old-fashioned family Christmas himself. Jim, I hope the Christmas bonus has re- arrived in time. Well, you know, they haven't. I was going to put in that pool. So uh, there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, I'm still trying to eat all the jellies of the month from last year that I got from uh, from, the, from the Saints and from, from Fox 8. So I, I anticipate the, uh, the arrival of my Christmas bonus any moment. If not, I'll be as surprised as if I woke up in the morning yes. and my head's on to the carpet. <laughs> I have yet to uh, watch the movie for the 4,000th time this month. Um, that'll happen for me probably this weekend. Good. I, uh, you'll be home with Kith and Ken, I guess? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'll be uh, looking out the back window, dreaming of what I'll do with my Christmas bonus as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great time. It's a hectic time, but a fun time as well. I can't believe there are only two games left in the regular season. Hopefully some more beyond that. Well, there is this challenge here in this next-to-last or penultimate regular season game. You, like the players, are working on a short week. Um, I know what it means for you. What about for the players, you think? Well, they've handled it so well in the past. Uh, They seem to have that routine pretty much down, so... Uh, it's it's all about rest and recovery, and with, especially with a, a largely veteran football team. Yesterday, the Saints had little more than a walkthrough, so um, they've played really well off short weeks this 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 season. I anticipate them to play well off a short week uh, this coming Sunday. It's always special when the Falcons visit or when we go there. So, especially with the stakes being what they are, each team knowing if they win out, they win the NFC South. No doubt, and and uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll talk to Wes Durham about this as well, but with all that has gone on with both of these football teams this season, it is somewhat amazing that the, this game has the implications that it does right here in the next to last week, and I guess this is what the NFL was looking for with the way they're scheduling divisional games now. That's correct, and, uh, you know, you looked at the schedule when it first came out, you said, boy, that second-to-last game with Atlanta coming here could be big. A good possibility could decide the NFC South, but nobody expected both teams to get here with losing records. In fact, I was looking at a statistic this week uh, that if the Falcons were to win out and and beat the Saints and then beat Carolina next week, they'd be the first team in NFL history to sweep their division and still have a losing record. That in itself is amazing. And uh, when you think about who is more deserving of winning this division, I'm not so sure you could make a solid case for any of the teams at this point, Jim. Yeah, except Tampa. I don't think I don't think Tampa has a shot. But yeah, you're right. I mean, what Carolina has done to hang in like they did. I mean, everybody thought they were dead in the water. Uh, everybody in the division besides the Saints have had at least a five-game losing streak, and I really think that's kind of contributed to each team's uh, inability to really stretch a lead. I think it's it's 
created a lack of a sense of urgency throughout the middle part of this season because you'd say, well, all right, the Saints lost, but, you know, so did Carolina, so did Atlanta. So you never really had quite the sense of urgency you have now where obviously your destiny is all in front of you as it is for the, the Falcons as well, and Carolina is still very much in it. Yeah, and I think, Jim, that the Saints uh, rightfully put that sense of urgency at the top of their list last week, and it paid off in the football game they played at Chicago. And speaking of wondering whether or not you'll wake up with your head sewn to the carpet, I think that all that Monday night did was reinforce the wonderment of what football team we'll see on any given week's basis with regard to the Saints. That's what you keep hearing from the fans. Uh, Even though they'd like to jump back on the bandwagon, I think they've probably still got one foot on the ground because they've seen such an inconsistent football team. But, uh, look, there's going to be no overlooking the Falcons. There's no reason for a letdown this week, unlike in previous weeks where the urgency wasn't quite as great. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of atmosphere there is in the Dome, too. I mean, the last time the Saints were there, they were being booed off the field at halftime, and much of the crowd had left in the third quarter. Somehow they've got to restore the Saints to the the sort of home field advantage they had and a a hyped-up, excited crowd in their behalf. And I really think they will, as long as the Saints give them some reason to stay in the game through the first half. You, you say give them a reason. Jim, do, do you in any way feel like, obviously that the Saints have to redeem themselves at home, but does the fan base have to do the same, or is this all reliant on what the Saints have shown them in that building this year? I think the fan base has to redeem itself, too. I mean, this is a game where the Saints are going to need this fan base to be just as vocal and as crazy as it has been in years past, and I think the fans are going to have to, create a one-game season just as the Saints are and note the sense of urgency in this one and stay behind the Saints a lot longer, in fact, through 60 minutes, no matter what the score is, because this is a essentially um, a rivalry that's had some great games. They've gone to overtime a lot as recently as the opener this year in Atlanta. So uh, there's no reason to leave this one early because they almost always get decided in the last two minutes. Yeah, no doubt. That's exactly what the MO has been between the Saints and the Falcons in their most recent meetings. With regard to the Chicago game, Jim, were there things that you saw that give you a good feeling about the Saints' chances this weekend? Well, I guess probably the rebuilt secondary with what Pierre Warren did with a couple of picks. Um, You saw Patrick Robinson with a nice interception, the pass rush, but I think it's hard to put too much emphasis on any part of the Saints' performance against the Bears because that's just looking like a woeful team that is now going to bench their multi-million dollar quarterback for Jimmy Clausen, who is not one in nine as a starter in his NFL career. So uh, we heard all week long when we'd get to Chicago about, well, you know, you're not going to have any trouble this week because the Bears have quit. They're in disarray. Their coach is going to be fired. Everybody's looking for their next job. And uh, that pretty much was the way that the Bears played. So um, I don't know if you can attach too much significance as far as a turnaround for the Saints just based on the Bears game. With regard to injuries for the Saints and the Falcons, is that a big as a storyline as I think it is because of names like Julio Jones and, and Roddy White and others on the Saints side, or am I making too much out of that personnel piece of this thing in, in the next to last week? Well, I think almost everybody expects Julio Jones to play. An interesting thing that I didn't realize as we were watching the scoreboard um, last Sunday with the Falcons playing the Steelers, that game meant nothing to the Falcons. Uh, They could and did lose that game because they knew if they swept their last two against their divisional opponents, they win the NFC South. And a lot of people were saying that that's why Julio Jones didn't play last week. They tested him out pregame against the Steelers, decided to rest him, and a lot of people think that's because they want him as close to full health as they can get him against the Saints. I fully expect him to play. I think it'll be an upset if he doesn't. Roddy White will play. I think the thing that you really have to watch for with the Falcons as far as the injuries go is uh, their cornerback situation. Robert Alford is out with a broken wrist, and they're going to play Robert McClain, who's less listed generously at 5'9". He's probably closer to 5'8". Primarily their nickel corner, who did have an interception against Breeze in the uh, end zone in the opener. But uh, you got to look for the Saints to try to exploit that matchup with a corner who is that small. And you got the 31st and the 32nd-ranked uh, defenses here. The Saints last, uh, the Saints second to last in the league, and, and the Falcons last in the league. So, uh, I fully expect Matt Ryan and Drew Brees to have very big days. With that being said, Jim, is the key to this game? Is it who has the ball in their hands last, or is it who 
doesn't turn the ball over? Which one features more prominently in your prep? Well, usually turnovers decide the games. And the Saints recently, with their success, have done a really good job in the red zone. I think if they continue to do that, I think that'll be something you need to watch for early because both teams are going to are going to move the football. And who has the most success in the red zone? turning opportunities into touchdowns rather than settle for field goals. I think that's going to be the biggest part of this game. Of course, the Falcons have a lot of depth to a wide receiver. they got four excellent wide receivers. So even if even if Roddy White is less than full speed in plays and, and if Julio Jones doesn't play, they still have some very accomplished players there to, uh, to still do a good job through the year. Matt Ryan, to my estimation, has always been one of the most overlooked and underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. He was spectacular in the season opener, nearly flawless. So, um, He's going to perform well. He always does under pressure. Uh, you expect Drew Brees to be on point. So I think it's mostly going to come down to a very tight game and perhaps decided by who's more successful in the red zone. When you meet with Hokie guys, John, this week and talk about your broadcast on Sunday, Jim, will you, will you ask him to maybe look at different things as far as the analyst role goes for Sunday's game that would help you determine what, how the story's going to play out? Yeah, probably one of the things that I'll alert him to that he'll probably already be aware of is the, the uh, matchups at cornerback and keep your eye on Alford and keep your eye on the matchups and how the Saints try to exploit that because that's something that Sean Payton is famous for, finding matchups uh, with the Saints' uh, array of wide receivers and then exploiting those matchups. Another thing the Falcons have not done very well is cover tight ends as recently as Heath Miller with the Steelers. And you look at the Saints' tight ends, interesting statistic this week, is that Drew Brees, in my estimation, or at least what I've seen so far without delving too deeply into the statistics, has thrown the second-most touchdown passes to tight ends of any quarterback in the NFL, trailing only Tom Brady. Let's see, he's thrown nine to Graham. Um, He's now thrown, um, he got two more to Josh Hill, so five to Hill, and uh, two to Ben Watson, who had a touchdown catch in each of the last two games prior to the Chicago game. So keep your eye on the uh, on the, the tight end matchups. And it's interesting, last week the Josh Hill score is twice. And at one point, and I noted this with Drew yesterday in the interview, at one point they ran an ace formation in which uh, there are two wide receivers to either side of the field where they're tight ends, uh, Jimmy Graham and Josh Hill. I wonder if we'll see more of that against some of these smaller cornerbacks that the Falcons employ. Well, that's a good point. Good thing to watch for there, absolutely. Um, I, one, one would have to label this as a playoff-type game, right, Jim? And if that's the case, what characteristics of playoff football should we be looking for as well this weekend? You're going to see, I think, a lot of anger from these two defenses. Uh, this is always a spirited game, no matter what the circumstances. It's an old cliche, but it's true. These teams don't like each other. These fans don't like each other. It's one of the best rivalries year in and year out in the NFL when both teams are playing well, maybe the best rivalry in the NFL. And that's because of the proximity, the history, the, the, the fans traveling between these two cities. So uh, you can expect a very spirited, hard-hitting game, and uh, I think that's what the fans are going to enjoy uh, from both sides. Wow. Does the NFC South get decided this weekend, Jim? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't expect Carolina to lose to the Browns, so I would say my guess would be no. Wow. So this is a two-week journey, not a one-week journey, is what you're saying? I think that's going to be the case, yes. I'll be delighted if it isn't. How many times have you predicted a Saints win or loss this year? Have you, have you kept track of that? You know, I get put on that spot all the time, and I've told <laughs> people I'm not doing it anymore because I've been wrong so much this season. I think the only time I predicted a Saints defeat, and it was was against Baltimore when the Saints had uh, played so poorly against Cincinnati the week before. But you know what? I know everybody wants predictions and everybody authors predictions, but I think as a play-by-play man, it's something you truly need to avoid because if you do, say, predict the Saints to lose, in the back of your mind you're almost feeling, okay, well, the Saints are going to lose, but hey, I predicted this. I don't think anybody pays any attention to those predictions once the game starts, and I I look at the Super Bowl as a prime example. Everybody authors their predictions. Once the, once the ball is kicked off, nobody remembers what anybody said. And um, so I'm not going not gonna to fall into that trap. And uh, I know what I hope will happen, but I'm not going to author any predictions the rest of this season that hopefully extends into the playoffs. Uh, you got too smart on me here, Jim. Come on, what are you doing? 
<laughs> You're trying to rope me into a corner, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, 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 you know, I just, I think that you probably have as good a feel on any of this as anybody else. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that for a guy like yourself, um, who's not only covered every minute of this season, but so many seasons now, I value your opinion. And I'm not trying to poke at you a little bit, but even you, even you, Jim, have had trouble predicting what will happen with this team on a week-to-week basis, and I guess that's that's my point here. Oh, yeah. Well, if that's your point, then it's, then it's well taken because I think, uh, you know, you always want to be right, and you have your, your feelings that you express in preseason, and I was, on every, I was on the bandwagon along with everybody else, and I think that's important to note for Saints fans that everybody was on that bandwagon. Everybody I read across, all the writers across the country, we're predicting the Saints to win the NFC South and contend for a Super Bowl, and we all got fooled. I think we got fooled by, in particular, the defense. I think, you know, the saying is, you either get worse or you get better, you don't stay the same. Well, I think we all thought, well, that defense that was fourth last year, with the addition of Jairus Bird, that's going to put them over, over the hump, and with Champ Bailey coming in and possibly being that other corner opposite Ken Lewis, this is going to be last year's fourth-ranked defense improved, maybe up to the second, maybe even first in the NFL, and that wasn't the case because they regressed in a, in a lot of areas, had the injury to Jairus Bird, never really solved their, their cornerback situation. So I think that's the thing that threw almost everybody off. I, I don't think you can say the offense has underperformed uh, to any great degree from expectations especially last week with the game that Drew had. Yeah, every quarterback's going to have some rough games along the way, but he remains one of the elite corners in the NFL. Jimmy Graham, maybe to a degree, has dropped off a bit. Marcus Colston, uh, with his age, is not going to be the receiver he was five years ago, but Mark Ingram surprised everybody by coming on so strongly. Uh, Josh Hill, obviously, has been a pleasant surprise. Ben Watson continues to play well uh, in the latter stages of his career. Kenny Stills, after overcoming an early injury, has been productive. So I don't think you can say the offense has underperformed expectations. It's it's been the defense. And, you know, also the fact that they got a very little infusion of, of new blood. I was looking at the roster last week for the Bears game. Saints didn't have a single draft pick uh, active for that game. And I would say that's probably pretty rare in the NFL these days that you come down to one of the final three games of the season and you don't have a single draft choice up. No doubt. And and in that context, and, and I'll finish on this, Jim, uh, in that context, here the Saints and their fans in the, uh, in the spirit of the season here should be somewhat appreciative of the fact that we do have a football game this weekend to talk about that has such implications and still has uh, rewards to be paid out to the winner here between the Saints and the Falcons. You're right. I mean, I think of our colleagues around the NFL and a guy like Gene Deckerhoff who's had to watch a Tampa Bay team not win a single game at home and only two victories coming into the final week, what's going on in Washington, uh, Chicago. Uh, yeah, I think to a degree, when we've been in that position, but not recently, not since, for the most part, Sean Payton's been here. And believe me, it's like, you know, it's like I'm sure you feel for the announcer of the Philadelphia 76ers where the season's over two weeks into it. And we've been spoiled here and that the Saints are always, for the most part, competitive and if you listen to what Sean Payton has said in the past, he said, we want to form our organization much like the New England Patriots. Yes, some year we might win the Super Bowl, but most years, in fact, every year, we want to contend. We want to have that sort of consistency. And you'd have to say that, uh, for the most part, they have. And I think we've all become a little jaded, perhaps a little spoiled by that. All you have to do is look around the nether regions of the NFL to appreciate how good we have it here. Well said. Merry Christmas, my friend. Best of luck on the weekend. Have a great call. Um, I'm hoping we will not be uh, with you next week as we prepare for the Buccaneers game, but I'm hoping that we'll get one or maybe two more visits postseason style with you in January. I hope so too, Sean. Be safe on the road. Thank you, sir. Jim Henderson, the voice of the Saints, here with us on the Black and Blue Report. We'll continue our visit with the voices as Wes Durham joins us next. At the Auctioneer Hospital for Children, no matter where you turn, you're surrounded by bravery. Children and teens dealing with health problems beyond their years. Parents working hard to keep the worry from their face. Doctors and nurses doing everything possible to get them back home where they belong. 
From rare brain tumors and leukemia to heart conditions and organ transplants, we offer a level of pediatric care unmatched in Louisiana. With more advanced capabilities than any other children's hospital in the region, even our kids-only ER can handle any pediatric emergency. In fact, the only thing tougher than the problems we see every day are the kids themselves. Choose the Auctioner Hospital for Children and never wonder if you could have done more. Call 866-AUCTIONER to find an affiliated pediatrician near you. Auctioner, healthcare with peace of mind. Everything you need to know about the Saints and Pelicans is right here on the Black and Blue Report. Welcome back. Our visit with the Voices continues now with the voice of the Falcons and a uh, very uh, a very uh, precious guest for us here on the Black and Blue Report. That's Wes Durham. He's back again with us. It's been a long time, Wes, <laughs> since that week one meeting <laughs> between the Saints and the Falcons. Man, a lot of stuff has happened. Well, it's kind of unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, uh, we kind of thought going into that ball game that it would be a you know, a precursor to maybe one, one team success and maybe a great division battle, and now all of a sudden – you know, we're in a scenario where it's a division battle, but it's not nearly the kind of division battle we thought it would be. Do you think it lacks the sizzle or just throw it all out, forget all that's happened, let's focus in on the fact that this is a very meaningful game for both? Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's always a little bit of sizzle, at least when uh, when it's the Falcons and Saints. I, I, think the, I think the one thing about the ball game for me is is that, uh, you know, there's, there's so much on the line. And... Uh, I don't think they played Sean in the second meeting of the regular season and maybe the last five or six years where there hadn't been something on the line for one or both of them. And mm. so, you know, what's going to happen here Sunday is going to be fascinating simply because of the stakes that are involved. And, you know, this division has been beat up nationally because it's not been very good from a one-loss perspective. But uh, I will tell you the one thing that's interesting to me about the division is it, it continues to deliver drama year in and year out. There's always drama mm. in the NFC South. Well, no repeat winner fuels that argument, certainly. Mm. Um, and, and, and certainly we could probably have that scenario maybe again here, obviously. Um, Wes, when you look at your season, though, with the Falcons, and I know that you've been doing this a while now, that's why I'm asking about the body of work. Can you remember a season where, and I know the same thing goes for Jim Henderson and the Saints, too, where week to week it's hard to really tell which team you're going to see. No, I can't. That's the thing. I mean, you know, it, it's been you know, two weeks ago they had an unbelievable win against Arizona, uh, go to Green Bay, play great in the second half. Uh, first half is a bit of a, a disaster on both sides of the ball, really. And then, uh, you know, last Sunday just really can't build any momentum at all against Pittsburgh. Um you know, they they had a little success early, but you're right, and I'm sure Jim feels the same way in some respects. There's there's no consistency, and and people ask me all the time, you know, what's what's happened to this team? And it's two things: injuries and inconsistencies. And I always joke about the old coaching adage: there's no I in team, but there is eyes and in injuries and inconsistencies. And that's where, yeah. and I think to a degree, that's where both these teams are. Surprisingly. Um, it's clearly where Atlanta is. Um, you know, the injuries that ravaged the offensive line, starting with the second preseason game when Sam Baker was lost, to, you know, losing basically two centers within two weeks of each other uh, with Joe Hawley and Peter Kahn's, and, and now the scenario uh, that faces them defensively. Uh, you know, whether William Moore is able to play, uh, what that does to the secondary. Uh, you know, Robert Alford has finally gone to IR. And uh, and realistically, you know, whether Julio Jones is able to go on Sunday or not now. Yeah, what about Roddy White? I mean, now we've got Jones and White that are on the injury list from Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an it, it's an interesting field. There's no question, Sean. I mean, there's you know, without them, they're they're an entirely different football team. You know, Harry Douglas has stepped up in the in the ball game that Roddy missed. Harry went for 100 yards. Uh, obviously, last Sunday he had a 100 yard catch day uh, as well. Uh, but to ask him to do it two weeks in a row, to ask Devin Hester to go make plays as the number two or maybe the number three guy in a more prominent role, you know, it takes Atlanta out of their rhythm completely. But uh, then again, this is the Falcons and Saints, and strange things have happened when these two have played before. No doubt. We had D. Orlando Ledbetter on yesterday from the uh, newspaper there in Atlanta, and uh, his guess is that Jones will not be able to go on Sunday. Where do you stand on that? Um, I'm 50-50. I, I think there's... 
Uh, Julio is a guy who um, who's played hurt or injured, depending on what term you're most comfortable using. I think he's a guy who can still be very effective even when he's less than 100%. Um, but I also will say this. Nobody wants to see anything long-term develop out of something that, you know, another week couldn't hurt. But this is a big game. There's no two ways about this. I mean, the season could all intents and purposes extend or be extinguished on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if there's a way he can play, he'll play. How effective he'll be, I don't know. Wes, I, I think that one could argue that Julio is probably the best guy in the league at catching the long ball. If he mm-hmm. cannot go, who does Matt Ryan have to stretch the field? Really good question, and I think it's uh, it's probably down to Harry Douglas. I think he becomes the stretch guy. But they throw the ball vertically, uh, Sean, in completely different ways when Julio's not on the field. Uh, they tend to throw it vertically up the middle of the field. Uh, they tend to do more stuff in the in the 5- to 13-yard window as opposed to doing things in the 23-yard window, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, They're going to throw the ball entirely different without Julio on the field. The other thing is this, even though he never touches the ball, Jones's presence creates issues in the secondary. Teams are forced to play Atlanta differently when Julio's on the field. Uh, they tend to shade to that side. Um, if he's not able to go on Sunday, it changes the way that New Orleans and uh, and what Rob Ryan will do in terms of what they uh, they would do schematically in the secondary. Wes, the uh, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome has been a house of horrors for the Falcons <laughs> in their last six trips. I know you know yeah. that firsthand. Um, but yet that team, at least from what I'm reading and listening to, uh, seems confident as they come this way here this weekend. Is that because of their win over the Saints earlier in the season, or is this something else? Oh, I think it's I think it's just the the fact that uh, you know that this this rivalry is is uh, as good as it gets in the NFC South. There's really no other matchup in this division, and I think there's tremendous respect and tremendous spice uh, behind the game. Um, yeah, they haven't had a great one loss mark there, particularly since Sean Payton's arrived. I think they've only got one win against Sean Payton in that building, um, and that was a couple of years ago, 2010, I guess it was in overtime. Um, you know, I started looking at the way this thing sets up. It's going to be fascinating. Um, there's no two ways about that now. I mean, this is a this is a game where, you know, New Orleans looked to have cured a lot of ills the other night, um, particularly as it relates to what they're doing throwing the football. And defensively, they look sharp. So, uh, But Atlanta's going to go up and going to show up and play. And I expected no different response than what I've read from really both teams this week. Wes, does some of the fascination come from the fact that these two teams have played these close games, overtime earlier this season. Last year at their Superdome, it comes down to the last trip into the red zone for Atlanta. Um, is there fascination in, in, in the fact that you think it's going to be that close again, or is one team just going to flat blow the, blow the doors off the other guy? Well, I, I don't think there's any two ways around the fact that, you know what, nine of the last 11 have been decided by six or less. I mean, there's just no other way around how tight these games have been. Now, we've had the occasional game get sideways, but for the whole, you know, this is a very hard-fought, tightly contested game. And I expect, you know, just because the majority of them have been like that, I expect the same kind of thing on Sunday. Neither team is perfect, Sean. Uh, They both have things they'd like to do a lot better on both sides of the ball. And I think the biggest goal or the biggest objective of the other team is to exploit those weaknesses like it would be any week. But those weaknesses are a little more pronounced with these two teams than maybe they would be if both teams were, what, thirteen and two at this particular juncture of the season, maybe uh, you know twelve and three, something like that. These are teams that are flawed. That's why no, that's why people nationally don't expect either, you know, New Orleans, Carolina, or uh, Atlanta to do very much once they get to the postseason out of this division. So is it is it too cliche for me to say that turnovers decides this or red zone efficiency decides this? I mean, if you were to try and put your finger on what will be the deciding factor, what have you got your finger on? The red zone. I think the red zone is the biggest piece of the ball game. Sunday, Atlanta has had way too many trips here in the last three ball games where they've exchanged a touchdown for a field goal in the red zone. Um, Atlanta will have to score touchdowns, and likewise for New Orleans. I don't think they can ask Shane Graham to kick field goals on every red zone trip, and Atlanta certainly cannot ask Matt Bryant to kick field goals. The Falcons will have to score touchdowns given what they've done defensively this year. Mm -hmm. Let's leave on this note here. I'm sure that both teams are excited about playing uh, rivals here down the stretch. 
Uh, probably they're more excited that nobody has to see the AFC North again the rest of the way. <laughs> I think you'd be right, except for the Panthers who forced the tie in Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, that uh, if the AFC North doesn't roll around on the schedule anytime soon, uh, uh, nobody in this division will be uh, be lost for it. It's uh, It's been ugly. I mean, the fact that uh, the Saints, I guess, have the – the one of the wins, uh, in fact, they may have both the wins, I guess, right, um, in the against the AFC North. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really kind of embarrassing how bad that division uh, has beaten up the NFC South this year, for sure. Objectively, Wes, is the NFC South decided this weekend, or are we going to be talking about this again another week? Um, well, I to me, I think it's a it's a tall order for Atlanta to win, but I think they can win. Um, and the interesting part about this team, uh, Sean, is is that Mike Smith uses that term resilient quite a bit. Every time you think this team's going to get blasted out of the water, they show up and play big. Um, Green Bay on a Monday night, Arizona three weeks ago at home. It's it's fascinating, really, in a in a lost season in many respects that this team for the bigger games tends to play very very well. So. I'll I'll err on the side that we'll probably be talking about the division one more week. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. My friend, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Safe travels this weekend. Same to you. Look forward to uh, catching up down the road again. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. Wes Durham, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons, with us here on the Black and Blue Report. And more to come on this Thursday in just a moment. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. Football fans, travel to Shreveport, Bossier City on Saturday, December 27th and attend the 39th annual Duck Commander Independence Bowl. One of the oldest bowl games in the country, this year's matchup features the Miami Hurricanes taking on the Gamecocks of South Carolina. While in town, enjoy great gaming action, shopping, food, and nightlife. Check out hotel packages for the game and other things to do at Shreveport-Bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. Big thanks again to the voice of the Saints, Jim Henderson, and the voice of the Falcons, Wes Durham, for joining us on the Black and Blue Report. We continue this morning from Houston, Texas, and welcome in a Texan and Joel Blank, who, of course, is with the Houston Rockets Radio Network. He is their studio host and director of broadcasting and is still probably wiping the sleep from his eyes after staying up late with the Rockets last night. One in overtime over the Denver Nuggets, 115-111. Good morning, Joel. Good morning, Sean. I'm also the color analyst, and I'm also a Wisconsinite, but I am in uh, via Houston, Texas, and I'm always here for you. You didn't think I was going to get all of it right, did you? Come on, you've known me a lot. No, that's part of why we are who we are and how we have the relationship we have. Indeed, indeed. How about those Rockets, 19-5 and now, and a resilient win last night against a pesky Denver team? Yeah, no question about it. You know, it's a team that resiliency is a good word, and, and it's it's a team that no one, I think, saw doing what they've done to this point in the season because of the amount of injuries they've suffered. Everybody can look on the surface and say Dwight Howard missed 12 games, but it, it goes much deeper than that. You know, you lost three-fifths of your starting lineup for more than half of the uh, the first quarter of your games. Uh, I think it's something like 37% uh, of uh, – starters' minutes have been missed already this year by the uh, the fact that Pat Beverly, Terrence Jones, and Dwight Howard have missed substantial time, and yet they still find ways to win. And, and going into the season, everybody, uh, the bench was much maligned, and everybody was questioning the bench because of the fact that you, you lost Jeremy Lin, you lost Omer Ashik. How are you going to replace them? And then you, you add some names that are pretty much unknown unless you're a uh, a, a world basketball junkie, but Kostas Papa Nikolaou uh, came in and was just phenomenal for the Rockets in the early part of this first quarter of the season. And all of a sudden, on a fluke injury, gets his knee rolled up on, and he goes on the injured list. Jason Terry, who 
the Rockets added and everybody thought was just kind of a locker room presence was phenomenal for this team. And unfortunately for the Rockets, but fortunately for him, his wife had a baby and he's missed some time. So, you know, you go right up and down the list, yet the the one constant is they keep winning, and I think that there's two key factors. One, the defense has been phenomenal, and it's gone from a team where everybody laughed at their defense a year ago to a team that's in the top three in almost every defensive category. And then two, James Harden has absolutely put the entire team on his shoulders and just carried them through the quarter mark uh, and done everything to be an MVP candidate, much like your man, Mr. Anthony Davis. Yeah, and I'd say Harden probably is at the top of the list right now for MVP. 41 last night, 18 of which come at the free throw line. He just he beats you in so many different ways, Joel. Yeah, he does. You know, the one thing that I don't think people are aware of is because he plays the guard position, how physically strong he is. Kevin McHale and his teammates constantly talk about the fact that if he wanted to, he could go down in the low post every single time like an Andre Miller or a Sam Cassell and he could absolutely punish people because of the fact that he doesn't look physically like he's a weightlifter, but he's just so strong in his upper body that he's able to get so much accomplished with his athleticism and then with that strength. He, he Everybody knows by now he loves the Euro step, and that's effective for him, but he draws a ton of contact just by going at a very high rate of speed and then being able to change direction so quickly and draw contact from a defender that gets caught on his heels, and then he's able to obviously knock down the free throws. And he takes such pride in his free throws that when he misses one, you think the world was about to end. But uh, it's all helped him to get to the point where, you know, as I believe he's still now leading the league in scoring. And, and he's just, you know, as I said to our listeners over and over again, this is a guy who next to points last year, his biggest number on a stat sheet besides minutes was probably turnovers. And this year the biggest difference is he's trusting his teammates. So he's passing the ball and getting a ton of assists, especially for kickout threes. And he's rebounding the basketball a heck, a heck of a lot better, and he's now filling up the stat sheet across the board instead of just points, minutes, and turnovers. You mentioned that bench, Joel, and Coach McHale only got seven points from his bench last night. Obviously, some of the guys are not fully you know, ready to go with regard to the depth of the Rockets right now. Are you concerned in any way in this quick turnaround for Houston today that uh, that could be a factor tonight? Oh, absolutely. I think it's, it's a big factor because if you look – you know, the positive is that all five starters scored in double figures. The negative is, if you look at their minutes played, uh, they're a veteran bunch of guys, and there's no doubt that anybody, you know, go doing that schedule, as you can attest, would be tired. But they're probably going to be gassed tonight. And so you're going to have to look to your bench. Uh, there's still no word on if Jason Terry's going to be back tonight or if he's not going to be back till Saturday night, like I said, with his wife having the baby. Papa Nicolau has been doing a lot more in practice, but I don't think he's going to be ready. So you're going to have to look to the bench, and you're going to have to look to you know whoever can just lend a helping hand for however many minutes they can play. Um, Isaiah Cannon came back off a sprained ankle last night, really didn't look like he was ready yet, so I don't know that he'll get a lot of time. But they're going to have to try and find a way. There's guys on the end of the bench that they thought during the start of the season were going to play extended minutes and be in the rotation like Troy Daniels, uh, and, and he just hasn't. Uh, found a way to do more than shoot the ball. And unfortunately for those fans of yours, that are fans of basketball that remember last year when he hit the big shot against the Blazers in the playoffs, uh, you know, everybody thought, well, we got a big-time shooter coming off the bench this year. And unfortunately this year he, his jump shot has gone amiss and he's not been able to knock down those shots. So it's been tough to find him minutes. But I'm sure the coaching staff tonight is going to probably go as deep as they possibly can to find guys that can try and contribute, especially with, your big front line, and the fact that if you guys come out with any tempo at all, obviously these guys are going to are going to need uh, need to find some depth on the bench because there's going to be a lot more up and down, just like last night in Denver. Mm, yes, um, Joel Blank with us here on the uh, Black and Blue Report. Joel, should we expect Dwight Howard to play tonight? I would think so. I mean, you know, the thing that that, that keeps you know it, it's it's a mystery every night, but yet when we file, you know, when we're as close to the team as we are. You know, he basically has said, just like not practicing for this game last night, uh, he just said, you know, it, it, it's a process. And the knee feels good. However, he wants to spend more time saving the knee for games than wasting it in practice. And so, you know, he was listed as doubtful, questionable, and then, you know, he played last night. But I think all along the team expected him to play last night, and then he obviously played very well and put up another double-double, and his two games back has put up really big numbers. Uh, I think that 
he gets up for and kind of feels like a big brother to Anthony Davis in a lot of ways, and he likes Anthony Davis. But I think he looks forward to you know going up against him as well, and he knows that you know for the Rockets to have a legitimate shot to beat the Pelicans, then they've got to find someone to try and defend him. So I think that that and the fact that obviously Omer Ashik, uh, the ex-Rocket, is a guy that they're familiar with, but they know how physical he is and how good he is on the boards. They're going to need more than Tart Black and Joey Dorsey in the middle. So, yeah, long answer for you, but I, I would expect Dwight Howard to play tonight. Yeah, long answer, but good points for sure. Joel, when you and Craig Ackerman take the air tonight, uh, what will you uh, start the broadcast with? What are storylines on the Rockets side that maybe I won't be covering on the Pelican side? Well, I think that, you know, first and foremost, what we keep emphasizing to people, and it's funny because if you watch the games on national TV, Jalen Rose was doing the game the other night, and he called James Harden's defense a turnstile and said that people just go through him. And and I kind of took uh, exception to that and kind of corrected him on that because if you look at the stats, it's not just James Harden, but this team hangs its hat now on defense where a year ago uh, they basically just tried to outscore you. And I think that the one thing that they figured out that Trevor Ariza was talking about after the game last night was the fact that even when the offense isn't clicking or you're in the high altitude of Denver and your shot feels a little different, the one thing that you can get the job done with is your defense. And I think that it's a team mentality. And when you add Dwight back in the mix to protect the rim as the final line of defense and you add Trevor Ariza and Patrick Beverly and James Harden on the perimeter, you can basically beat teams by just quite simply getting stops on one end and then getting out and transition as fast as you can to try and get baskets on the other end. So I think that defense is a big story for this team, and I think that it will continue to be. Uh, obviously, everybody's going to talk about James Harden being the MVP and that being the focus. But I think that the other thing is going to be the fact that they're going to need help because this is the kind of team, much like Portland, much like Oklahoma City, that the Rockets sometimes struggle with because of the fact that since they lost Omer Ashik, when teams can go double big on you with Davis and Ashik up front, the Rockets seem to struggle to find someone else to guard that other guy that Dwight Howard isn't guarding. And I think that Donatus Montiunis has had a breakout campaign, and he's done a lot of good for this team, especially with Dwight Howard out on the offensive end. But he continues to have the microscope on him to see can he defend and can he defend bigger bodies like the Pelicans put out there. So I think that's one of the other things that we'll focus on is the fact that rebounding is going to be a key and defensively how they match up and can anybody else match up with, I would assume, Ashik if Dwight Howard takes Davis uh, and or if it is the other way around. I'm not sure that there's anybody that matches up with Davis, but can you slow him down? So I think the front-line defense on the low post is going to be big tonight. Let me leave you with this. Um, you're 19-5. and five here in Houston, mm-hmm. but yet you're not in first place in this division. Memphis wins in triple overtime last night over San Antonio. Talk is heating up this morning about Dallas maybe getting Rajon Rondo. Uh, have we reached a new height of ridiculousness in the Southwest division now? Yeah, if we, have, if we hadn't in the past, I mean, we certainly have this year because obviously you go top to bottom and each team has a legitimate uh, stake in saying that they could compete for not only a playoff spot, but to possibly win the division and have enough talent uh, to put out there, you know, all-star caliber talent that have a chance to compete come postseason time. So it is crazy. Um, you look at what Dallas is doing, and, and, and to me it's kind of a head-scratcher. I was talking to some guys before the game going, unless you find a way to get Rondo and keep Monte Ellis, why would you make that deal? Because I've, from what I've heard, Boston is very interested in Monte Ellis. And Monte Ellis arguably has been the MVP of that team so far in the season because with everybody wondering where how, if there was enough ball to go around, he continually leads them in scoring and assists, and he's done everything that they've asked him to do. Uh, San Antonio, as we all know, doesn't give a rip about the regular season as long as they get to the playoffs healthy, uh, and it seems like that they're on that same path this year because they still have a, a boatload of talent. And, and obviously Memphis – Another team much like the Rockets in terms of focusing on defense, but the Rockets have done done it just this year. You know, they do it every year, and now they're finding that Mike Conley has become a big-time clutch performer. Uh, they're getting great contributions from even guys like Vince Carter, who, again, much like Jason Terry with the Rockets, was a guy you weren't sure had anything left in the tank. Uh, but they're a legitimate championship contender, and, you know, on and on and on. So it's it's a crazy division that got crazier. Uh, I think from a fan's perspective, you just got to love it because, you know, every single night if it's a divisional game that 
the the level of competition is going to be at the height of the NBA, and it's fun to watch. And I, you know, Craig and I were saying all night last night we were trying to catch scores, and we really wish we didn't play last night because everybody told us the game of the year to watch was the Spurs and the uh, Grizzlies, and they did not disappoint. No, it was fantastic. Uh, so was your visit today. Gold star for you, my friend. Thank you, my, my good friend. I appreciate that. Next to being a volunteer fireman and uh, the second-best young voice in the NBA, it is an honor and a privilege to be on a show with you and to get the accolades that I can sometimes achieve by doing things the way you want me to do them. Oh, Joel, I can't wait to see you tonight at the Toyota Center. Have a great Thursday, okay? Thanks, buddy. You too. All right, Joel Blank with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Final thoughts here from Houston in just a moment. Be at the Smoothie King Center to see your New Orleans Pelicans take flight on Saturday, December 20th at 6 p.m. when the Portland Trailblazers come to town. It's holiday time at the Smoothie King Center with the first 8,000 fans receiving a free holiday ornament courtesy of People's Health. The Pelicans Fest pregame block party tips off the fun at 4.30 with music, games for the kids, and a lot more. Tickets start as low as $18. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com to get your seats today. In New Orleans, food is more than a passion, it's a tradition. And Zatarans has been part of that tradition for 125 years. From jambalaya and dirty rice to crab boil and more, Zatarans has been jazzing up dinner since before there was jazz. And we're excited about what next season might bring. Jazz it up tonight with Zatarans, proud sponsor of the New Orleans Pelicans. What's up, Pelican fans? This is Anthony Mackey, a shorter, talented version of Anthony Davis, and you are listening to the Black and Blue Report. Go Pelicans. Well, the New Orleans Saints had more of a walkthrough yesterday than anything else. They're back on the practice field today in earnest, and John DeShazer will have coverage later on today at NewOrleansSaints.com and on your Saints mobile app. We'll continue our Saints-Falcons conversation tomorrow for sure. The NFL weekend does start tonight, although if you want to call this NFL football, go right ahead. Titans and Jaguars tonight, both teams 2-12. and 12. That's how we uh, kind of um, step into this uh, penultimate NFL weekend. Boy, talk about a tire fire. That is a disaster of a game tonight. So with that being said, I will encourage you to tune in, of course, to the Pelicans and Rockets this evening. That's a 7.30 Central tip-off here in Houston at the Toyota Center. Full coverage on the Pelicans radio network starts at 7.30. Television coverage on Fox Sports New Orleans begins with their pregame show at 7 tonight. Anthony Davis uh, is back and uh, healthy, especially after dumping 31 on the Utah Jazz in their most recent game. The Rockets roll in here with a win as well. And uh, tonight the Pelicans will be looking for their ninth win against the West and a precious road win in their division. A somewhat rarity not only for the Pelicans, but for most teams in the division as it currently stands early in this season. So we're looking forward to that basketball game tonight. We've got a nice show for you tomorrow. Kevin Burkhardt from the NFL on Fox is one of our scheduled guests tomorrow. And we'll also wrap up the Pelicans and Rockets game from our Studio B uh, facilities in Metairie on Airline Drive. We're looking forward to it. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Go Saints. Go Pelicans. I'm Sean Kelly saying so long for just a while. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report.